Hi, David. US inflation fell in September. Are we now at peak inflation? Hi, Alex. Yeah, I mean, headline US consumer price inflation, um, as you say, did fall in September, but actually only marginally to 8.2%. Um, and that was on the back of lower gasoline prices and um, base effects and, and was actually you know, filled by less than the consensus forecast. And if we strip out food and energy, then inflation actually rose. So core inflation rose to 6.6% year on year, which is its highest rate for um, 40 years. And, and when you look under the hood, um, you know, there wasn't much comfort to be taken in terms of the uh, at least near-term outlook uh, for inflation. So shelter costs, so that's actual and imputed uh, rent uh, increased by more than expected. Um, but again, even if we exclude a shelter, which is basically a sort of lag- lagging indicator of the housing market, that is definitely cooling under the pressure of uh, rising mortgage rates. The prices of other services, um, if anything, you know, in- increased further. So they actually were up uh, 6.8% on uh, a year ago. So, you know, uh, more positively, you know, um, goods inflation is coming down. Um, and I think that is reflecting, you know, some healing of COVID disrupted global supply chains. We've seen freight costs drop. Um, there's been some buildup of um, inventories, but it's certainly not, you know, coming down fast enough to offset the increase in the price of uh, service inflation. So I think, you know, headline inflation, um, we, we, we may have peaked, but I'm not sure the evidence um, is consistent with a peak as of yet in terms of um, core inflation. And, you know, I, I still do expect um, these core measures of inflation to, to, to gradually fall as we go into um, 2023, because, you know, the amount of monetary tightening that we're getting from the Fed, uh, the US economy is going to um, uh, slow down. Um, but I, I do think the sticky inflation is going to keep the pressure on the Fed to keep raising rates and to keep them higher for longer. And, and that does increase the risk of a recession in uh, 2023. Um, and, you know, this higher than kind of expected inflation print for September uh, followed a pretty strong payrolls report, uh, unemployment falling to three and a half percent. And I think it does seal the deal for a fourth consecutive three-quarter point hike by the Fed at its next meeting on the 2nd of um, November. So, you know, in the aftermath of the inflation report, um, we saw uh, investors raise their expectations for uh, the sort of terminal rate or the end point for this Fed uh, Fed rates to actually close to 5%. Next year, uh, Treasury yields um, did increase across the curve. Um, and, and equities, interestingly, I mean, they were marked down you know, initially, but actually then rallied pretty strongly on the day. But um, frankly, I've no idea why. Um, I do think, though, that the focus now for the market is going to shift to the uh, third quarter corporate earnings reports that we are going to get over the next couple of weeks. And what will investors be looking out for from earnings season? Well, well, we've seen sell-side analysts um, you know, slash their Q3 earnings expectations to around about 3% year on year. Um, but they're still forecasting, you know, 8% growth next year with profit margins remaining intact. Now, I, I actually think most investors think 
the sell side sort of consensus um, forecasts are too optimistic. But I also think investors are struggling to find what is a kind of reasonable estimate um, for 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 earnings, and and I think are looking for guidance from. Um, uh, uh, companies and you know we've had some profit warnings from economic bellwethers like FedEx so I think investors are going to be you know, very focused on the outlook for uh, profit margins going into um, next year and and I think the problem for the challenge for equities and, and for risk assets more broadly is that stability requires investors to be confident that they know where interest rates will settle, which, as we've discussed, you know, in turn depends on the path for inflation, which remains very uncertain. Um, And in terms of what's going to happen to the broader economy and in particular um, earnings. So I think investors are going to be very focused on any forward guidance provided by corporate CFOs um, so that they can kind of get an anchor uh, for what is a reasonable expectation for earnings growth um, next year. I mean, I have to say, I think despite the sort of latest sort of short-term bounce in equities, I mean, longer term, I, I do think that earnings expectations, um, both from analysts and held by investors, will likely have to fall. And that's going to be a drag on uh, equity and, and, and risk assets more generally. We discussed the fallout from the UK's mini-budget in some depth in our last podcast, but the crisis remains unresolved. What's the current state of play? Yeah, Alex, I mean, look, we, you know, as we discussed, it's very much a crisis of policy credibility um, that was actually made worse by UK pension fund uh, leverage exposure to government bonds, and that forced the Bank of England into emergency sort of liquidity intervention. Um, I mean, we... We've we've seen uh, UK government bonds guilt rally in recent days, but they're still around about 70 to 80 basis points above where they were before the uh, so-called mini um, budget. And that's actually double the um, rise in government bond yields globally. And I think it's noticeable that there was a bigger rise in real or inflation expectations adjusted rates, which I think is consistent with uh, a sort of UK specific policy um, risk premium. Um, I mean, right now there's you know, a huge amount of speculation that the government will do a full U-turn on its mini budget. So basically ditching all or most of the uh, sort of planned unfunded tax cuts that triggered the uh, crisis of policy credibility and volatility in UK financial markets. Um, you know, it's clear that the pressure on the Liz Trust government to do a U-turn from within the ruling Conservative Party is intense, um, but it also would be a you know huge political humiliation for the new Prime Minister and her um, Chancellor. I mean, as 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 we discussed actually, Alex, um, in in that podcast, I mean that would actually be the best policy response the best policy response to this crisis would be to um, essentially ditch the uh, mini uh, budget but I think you know that would provide some you know short-term relief um, and prevent any further damage being sort of you know imposed on on the economy but I think there will be longer-term costs um, um, you know in terms of you know interest rates being higher than would have otherwise um, been been the case um, the, the the so-called medium-term fiscal plan is scheduled to be presented on the 31st of October I'm kind of skeptical that they can wait uh, that long and certainly if they don't do a u-turn as I think the market is now anticipating 
in terms of the uh, tax cuts, um, then um, we're going to get you know resumption of volatility um, and uh, bond yields and interest rates moving uh, you know much higher again. Um, we also have the Bank of England meeting on the third of November. I, I mean, it's going to be raising interest rates before the mini budget. The market was expecting anywhere between 50 to 75 basis point hike. Um, it's now anticipating a 100 basis point um, increase. Um, but I, 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 as I say, I, I do think that even if we get a U-turn and some resolution to this crisis, I think there's longer term um, sort of costs. And I think they will be from you know, in, international investors wanting a risk premium on UK, UK assets, because I think this crisis has exposed weaknesses in UK economic policy institutions and leadership. So, you know, the Treasury, the um, UK Finance Ministry seemed unable or unwilling to, you know, kind of prevent a reckless and ill-considered fiscal announcement. Um, I think the Bank of England hasn't covered itself in glory, got itself into a bit of a communications tangle over whether it would end or extend its emergency purchases of, of, of gilts. Uh, regulators appear to have been asleep um, at the will, um, while UK pension funds and their advisors, I think, have some fairly serious questions to face on the way that they um, implemented, you know, liability-driven investment strategies, how they, uh, uh, their, their risk management and, and liquidity management. So, you know, I think there's, there's, you know, even if we get a kind of short-term relief, I think there will be some uh, uh, long-term costs for the UK economy as a result of uh, what we've witnessed over the last couple of weeks. And finally today, David, the 20th Congress of the Chinese Communist Party starts this weekend. Is this something that investors should take note of? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I don't think it's going to be a, you know, market moving event, but it clearly does matter for the, you know, future political and economic direction of China. And hence, you know, it is something that matters for global investors. Um, President Xi Jinping, you know, it's going to be anointed for an unprecedented third term as General Secretary of the Communist Party. So that will confirm Xi as the most dominant and powerful leader of China since Mao Zedong. Um, he may even be declared as the people's leader. Um, then that would signal that any sort of last vestiges of collective leadership in Beijing are over. And under Xi, you know, the Communist Party is you know, strengthened its control over pretty much all aspects of life and, and really left very little room, if any, for dissent. And certainly China has become more assertive on the global um, stage. So I think, you know, this rivalry between China and the US will be, I think, actually the defining sort of geopolitical relationship over the next decade. Um, we know that you know, the status of Taiwan is a potentially sort of dangerous flashpoint between these two um, rival superpowers. Um, I, I think one of the things that investors will be looking for from the 20th Congress is whether there's going to be any sort of shift back to economic development growth as the top policy priority, because it's been clear that um, in recent years under Xi, you know, sort of national security broadly defined, both domestic and international, has kind of, you know, you know, taken the taken the lead. Um, and, and that has spilled over, I think, 
in the way that they've in, in economic policy. So, for example, the regulatory crackdown on big tech, on private education services, and, and I'd argue also in terms of the way that they've pursued this um, sort of zero COVID uh, policy. Um, in, in terms of zero COVID, I mean, I, I, you know, which would be the sort of short term thing that would boost um uh, sort of investor confidence in the outlook for uh, Chinese economic growth. Um, I think it's very unlikely to be um, at any change before the spring of next year. In fact, right now, COVID restrictions are actually being tightened in response to another, you know, pickup in uh, COVID infections. Although, you know, the, the the numbers are still pretty tiny by international standards but you know there are reports of some schools in shanghai being closed districts and other cities being um locked down so in in the short term i don't think it's going to be sort of too much to take away from the 20th congress but it may still prove i think a defining moment for china's uh, sort of polit- political and economic direction over the longer term and, and therefore that does have you know global repercussions and implications for investors Thanks for your time today, David, and speak with you again soon. Thanks, Alex. This podcast is issued by Blue Bay or one of its entities. Please check the entire Blue Bay disclaimer at the following website, www.bluebay.com forward slash podcast disclaimer. This podcast is provided for informational purposes only. It is not intended, nor should it be intended as investment, tax or legal advice. This podcast does not constitute an offer to sell, nor is it a solicitation of an offer to purchase any security or investment product in any jurisdiction. This podcast is not available for distribution in any jurisdiction where such distribution would be prohibited and is not aimed at such persons in those jurisdictions. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Blue Bay makes no express or implied warranties or representations with respect to the information contained in this podcast and hereby expressly disclaim all warranties of accuracy, completeness or fitness for a particular purpose. Blue Bay is under no obligation to update the information in the podcast to reflect changes after the publication date. The information contained in this podcast is believed to be reliable, but Blue Bay cannot and does not guarantee its accuracy, timeliness or completeness. The document is intended only for professional clients and eligible counterparties as defined by the Markets and Financial Instruments Directive or in the US by accredited investors as defined by the Securities Act of 1933 or qualified purchases as defined in the the Investment Company Act of 1940 as applicable and should not be relied upon by any other category of consumer. No part of this document may be reproduced, redistributed or passed on directly or indirectly to any other person, published in whole or in part for any purpose in any manner without the prior written permission of Blue Bay or one of its entities. Copyright 2022.